starting in verse 1 here. Let's read 3, 1 through 10. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Well, just by way of overview, we're going through Titus, and we kind of summarize the whole book of Titus into two points. Doctrine, uh, knowing what truth is, what God has taught us, and obedience, obeying. How does that work its way out in our life? And each chapter really hits these two points. Chapter one is about the church. Uh, Because of what we know about God and the gospel, how does that overflow into how the church looks and how it is set up in terms of government and behavior and things like that, how we work together. Um, In chapter 2, it's talking about our roles as individuals, same thing, as we know who God is and what he's done in the gospel, how does that flow out into our individual lives as dads, moms, husbands, wives, workers, men, women, every person, um, this should affect us in every area of life. And then now here we are in chapter 3, we're talking the same thing, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ and who God is, how does that flow out into our life in terms of how we relate to the government? We talked about that in verse 1 of chapter 3 and rulers and then also just other people, Christians uh, and non-Christians, how we treat them should be affected by the gospel and what it's done in our heart and our life. And so we did an overview of this section, and we talked about how we treat individuals as rooted in Christ and his activity in our lives and his character and his example of grace. And so we did a whole message, kind of just the big overview argument of this section, what God is telling us and asking us to do in light of who he is. So verses, you know, three, comparing about our old life all the way through Um, 7 basically he is talking about our salvation what he's done for us how he treated us pre-conversion how we ourselves were lost and how that should affect how we treat other people and how God was gracious to us so we should be gracious to other people Um, how God didn't just throw us off when we were you know Foolish, disobedient, slaves to various lusts lust and pleasures. He pursued us. He loved us. He uh, called us. And so, in that way, we ought to. 
behave in the same way towards both Christians that we feel are um, wrong and non-Christians. Um, so it affects every area of our life. So today we're going to zoom in on the specifics because we just did a kind of a general overview. Let's look specifically at 3.2 is the plan today. Just focus in on the specific commands in light of the reason for those commands, which we talked about, I think it was three weeks ago now, that it's rooted in Christ and what he's done, who he is, how he acts toward us, and his example of grace in our life. So knowing that, how do we act? We're gonna just going to zoom in on every phrase here in 3-2. I'm going to go out of order because one kind of I kind of view as a summary of the others. So let's just start in... Uh, 3.2, this is the first one. He says, to speak evil of no one. Speak evil of no one. And this brings up a question in our mind. Speak evil of no one. Well, how does that fit? How does that fit with some of the other things that Paul says? For example, earlier in Titus, we saw that Paul said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, therefore rebuke them sharply. That's pretty sharp. (laughs) In some way, you could say that's speaking evil, right? Um, on the surface. And so how do some of these other statements that Paul makes, how does it fit into this seemingly all-encompassing statement, right? Uh, Another example in 2 Timothy, Paul says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. Well, in another way you could say, He's speaking evil there of Alexander the coppersmith. And so we have to think and fit every command in Scripture into the whole counsel of God. How do these fit together? Um, Both are pieces of God's word and are right and good. And so how do we... How do we understand this? What is Paul specifically asking us to do here? So... Just a general principle, anytime you come to a passage and it's confusing or you're not sure what's going on, um, how does it fit with other, other passages, let's just talk about maybe a general principle we could, we could take is that we don't want any one verse to cancel out any other command or truth. So we don't want to take, here it says, speak evil of no one, and just decide, well, he didn't really mean that. Or take, for example, um, Matthew 18, where it says, if your brother sins against you, go and you know, talk to him about his faults, which um, is also a clear command. We have to hold them both. And so in whatever understanding we take of this, we don't want to just decide we're not going to do one and we're, we are going to do the other. Um, so whatever Paul means here can't cancel out any other of the commands of Scripture. We can know that going in. So when Paul says, speak evil of no one, He doesn't mean, don't follow Matthew 18, right? If somebody sins against you, you should go to them, and you should talk to them, and you should tell them, hey, this, you know, I felt like this was a sin, uh, and I wanted to, you know, talk to you about it. Um, So it's not going to cancel out any of that. It doesn't mean we never correct anyone. Um, Proverbs 17.10 says, A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. And so... The Bible is clear that this doesn't mean we never rebuke. It doesn't mean we never correct. It doesn't mean we never say anything that's negative. Um, But what I think we should take from this is when we do that, there should be this verse in the back of our mind. Speak evil of no one. 
And it's a check in your spirit, you know. Um, is this necessary? Do I really need to say this? Am I doing this because I th- believe God wants me to do this? Am I saying this negative thing um, out of a desire to obey God and a specific verse in the Bible? Or is this just me wanting to talk, um, maybe negatively about somebody, or just wanting to share this when maybe I shouldn't? And so we want to follow all the commands. I think this is a good warning. I mean, this verse comes up... Um, it's kind of, let's see, I'll say it this way. I think as a Christian, a lot of these things we're going to cover today are about our words. I think as a Christian, we should often pause and ask ourselves, should I say this? And if you're having a conversation with somebody and it's starting to get maybe, uh, I'm not sure, I'm comfortable with this. I'm not sure this is the right way to be handling this or this is the biblical way to handle um, something like this. Then you should stop and say, I'm not sure. I really need to think about that. I'm not sure what I should say. Or can I pray uh, about that for a second? Or maybe even let's set this aside for now and let's talk about it another time because I'm just not sure how to answer that question or I'm just not sure what the right way to talk about this is in Um, in a respectful, in a um, scriptural, having discretion, all these things. I'm not sure what to do, so let me get back to you. Um, So we don't want to take this verse and mean let's not do church discipline because that's speaking evil of somebody. We want to follow all those clear commands. We want to do church discipline. Um, Matthew Henry, when he t- he's talking about this verse, he kind of basically paraphrases it. This is what he says. He says, it, what Paul's talking about here is reviling or cursing or blaspheming, which the word specifically uh, here in the Greek is the word blaspheme, which is a Greek word that we took over into English. Um, to speak evil of none, unjustly and falsely or unnecessarily, without call, and when it may do hurt, and no good to the person himself or any other. So he gives a lot of different ways to say it, but he's basically saying the warning is unnecessarily and it will do no good. There's no purpose. It's just, I'm just talking, I'm just speaking evil just to speak evil. I'm not trying to follow Matthew 18. I'm not trying to exercise church discipline. I'm not trying to do good to the person. Um, I'm just speaking evil. And so you can see how this fits in with some of these other things that Paul is trying to help Titus here relate to the uh, Cretans. Um, not, not a, no pun intended, uh, literal Cretans, as well as Cretans, like um, the way we use it in our word, like a sinful person. And um, he's saying, basically, this is the reputation of those in Crete by their own prophets. And he says, their own prophet says, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, therefore rebuke them sharply. So he's not just saying it to say, that, you know, you're in a terrible spot. He's saying, even Cretans themselves are saying we need sharp rebuke. That's our personality type, basically. And there's a purpose there. Um, and Paul's not just bringing that out of thin air. He's actually quoting one of their own, their own prophets, quote-unquote. Same here when he talks about Alexander the coppersmith. There's a reason. He brings this up. He brings it up to warn others. He's trying to protect. He's not uh, trying to just drag him through the mud. He's trying to help people. He says, beware of him yourself. He did me much harm, basically. Um, I'm trying to protect people. Um, I'm not just dragging him through the mud. There's many, many times in the scripture where there's something negative and Paul doesn't bring the person up individually. 
and there's time for that. So what I would say is this, is that this verse should at least make us question. When something, when we're going to talk negatively, um, we should, this should pop up in the back of our mind and be kind of a warning light, like a yellow light, basically. You know, it's not saying, none of these verses are saying it's always okay to uh, do this or it's always okay to do that. It's not, it's not, there is times when we should say something negative. There's times uh, when we should refrain. And so this verse could be like a yellow light. You know, it's like, I, if I'm about to say something negative, I need to slow down and ask some questions. Is this profitable? Is there a reason for this? Is there a scriptural basis for this? Or is this something else? What's my motive here? What's the result here that I'm after? And that's kind of the way I want you to view this verse is, if you memorize it, great. I think it's, this verse is a really great verse to memorize because it applies every day. We're talking, you know, and think about the verses, you know, where many words, where there are many words, sin is not absent. We have to be careful how we talk. And there's a lot of verses like this in the Bible. Be careful um, with your speech. So just a few more applications to this specific thought of speak evil of no one. Um, we don't want to be malicious. We don't want to speak evil when there's no good done. Um, we talked about gossip before. If you're not a part of the problem or the solution, then you know that's probably not the person you should be talking about. That's the way I would dis- de- define gossip. Um, we don't want to assume we know somebody's hearts or motives. The Bible is really clear we can't. So one way we could speak evil is saying, well, this person did this, and I know they're really after that. Well, do we really know that? You know, um, be careful. Uh, our culture is quick to label people um, by their motives when we really don't know. You know, the Bible specifically says God knows the heart. God sees, um, not like man sees, God can look on the heart, and we can't. And so we want to be careful in, the, in our language. We don't want to speak evil unnecessarily. We want to be specific. Um, The opposite of that would be instead of jumping to character, you could say if there's an issue uh, and just be specific about the specific maybe behavior or word or whatever and keep it to that and not let it balloon into this person's a terrible person or something like that. I'm concerned about when you said A, you know, and that bothered me. Not um, how dare you be a uh, horrible, horrible person, you know. It's a big difference. Um, and one is specific. Uh, I would say one is not necessarily speaking evil of somebody. But you can see how when we let things get broad, get general, um, we can begin to speak evil unnecessarily, things that we can't even know. We could say that about individuals in terms of their motives, but we could also say it about groups, right? Um, we should. I think we should be careful, very, very careful, if we're going to make some sort of all- Statements or categorical statements, such as um, group X is so and so, you know, such and such. Um, in almost all groups, there's some diversity, <laughs> and so if we have something that that bothers us, that's negative, that we need to address, let's do it specifically, and we don't want to let it balloon into speaking evil. One more th- quick thought. Um, wives and husbands. It's there's a lot of times that we need to be careful as either husbands or wives not to speak evil of our spouse, whether that's in a joking way or whether 
whether it's um, kind of a humorous way or whether it's something specific. In our culture, it's hard because I, I'm trying to think of an example that's there's it's culturally acceptable to say things negative things about your husband or wife kind of in a yeah my husband is this and that or my wife you know she's this and that and sometimes there's names specific names kind of that are culturally acceptable to call your wife or husband that aren't they're speaking evil um, and so we don't want to do that uh, want to be careful we want to be up building and we don't want to have anything to do with like Second Timothy says, foolish, ignorant controversies. Um, this is what Paul says in that in in Second Timothy two twenty three through twenty five that you don't have, don't have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, that God may perhaps grant, grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. You see in that verse, it's very similar to the section we're reading through, but he's giving the purpose there. He's saying that whenever we do have to talk and correct, we're doing it with a good purpose. We're doing it with gentleness that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. We're looking forward to the positive, and that's the goal. And I think those are some warnings about speaking evil of no one. I'm going to skip... Um, avoid quarreling and come back to it because I think it kind of summarizes this whole section. So one question, I'll summarize that whole long thing I just did if you kind of zoned out. Sorry. <laughs> um, one statement I would say is when you're, if you're going to say something negative, ask yourself, is this really profitable? Is there a purpose? Why am I doing this? Is there a verse? Is there a reason? And that's kind of my one sentence summary of what I just said. Okay, I'm going to skip avoid quarreling because we're going to come back to it kind of as an overview, but the next is be gentle. Be gentle. And again, there's some difficulties here because there's a lot of verses that on face value uh, are difficult. I mean, okay, I'll give you a couple examples. Here's Paul. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Galatians 5.12. It's actually a play on words. It's kind of sarcastic. And it's sharp. It's a very sharp uh, rebuke there to the Galatians and to those who would unsettle them. Or, like we said here in Titus 1, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. So here it says, in the same book, rebuke them sharply and be gentle. Um, And as we're going to read it later on in the verse, this word all comes up. Show perfect courtesy towards all people. And so, how do these fit together? How do these work? There seems, at face value, a difficulty. Rebuke sharply and always and be gentle. <laughs> and so how do we do that, and how do we fit these together? How do we know when to do one, when to do the other, or how they, how they combine, how there's a synthesis? Well, the, my main point here on this particular section of being gentle is that I think gentleness is an attitude we go into every encounter with, that... The pattern in the Bible of God is that he's slow to anger and he's abounding in steadfast love. And God, though he does rebuke sharply, his temperament is gentleness. And so that's the way I, we should be. So I'll give you some examples. Matthew eleven twenty nine, 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly heart, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And Jesus' temperament was gentle. He started out with gentleness. Does that mean he never rebuked sharply? No, he definitely did. He definitely got there. But even when he did, uh, many, many times, the people he was the most sharp with, you know, examples you can think of where Jesus was sharp, you know, Matthew 23, rebuking the Pharisees. He had many, 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 many conversations, patient, loving, answering their questions. And when the, he talked with them and talked with them and talked with them over and over and over, and eventually he, he did rebuke them. And that's the way God is. That's the way God is in the Old Testament. He, he specifically says, I'm slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God is patient and patient and patient. And will he rebuke? Absolutely. Um, but his temperament is gentleness. Think about the verse... The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. What does that mean? That means that the most severe and sharp rebukes that Jesus ever gave or God ever gave in the Old Testament um, to the Israelites, those were all done in kindness. Because he says, all, all his works are kind. Every single one. Think about that. If we're going to be sharp, it's obviously possible to be sharp in a kind way. According to the Bible, God's always kind. And we can definitely see that there's times when he gives a sharp rebuke. Some things I want you to notice here, think about, let's choose one specific example. Okay, Jesus rebuking the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Matthew 23. It's sharp. He gives a sharp rebuke, a long, extended, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you discourse. But some things I want you to notice is how many times Jesus was patiently reasoning with them over and over and over. I like this in Matthew where he, he says to the Pharisees, uh, to, the to the religious leaders, um, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came to call the righteous but sinners. So this is in the midst of this kind of this argument with the Pharisees, and he's telling them, go read this verse and let, find what it means. And then later on, he says, I'm going to change the translation just a little bit because it gets it across better. If you had learned what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. So the ESV says, if you had known, which doesn't really get across like the past tense learning of what he's already asked them to do. He's bringing up the verse that he already told them to look up, and he's saying, if you would have looked it up, if you would have learned what I asked you to go look up, you, you would understand this. And so not only is he correcting them, and giving them, here, this is what you need to learn. Here's where you need to go. Here's what you need to study. He's bringing it up again. Hey, if you would have learned what I already asked you to look up, you would understand this. And so he's patient. And we know that there's many of the interactions that weren't written down, right? But we, the ones we have, he's over and over patiently teaching them. And eventually he does come to the place where he rebukes them sharply. But you can even see the gentleness there with the Pharisees and the Sadducees over and over answering these questions, even ones that he perceives they're doing it to try and trick him. He's still patiently bearing with them. So think, keep that in mind as we kind of think about Galatians 5, where we talked about Paul. He has this sharp rebuke. Um, he says, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Now I'm going to read you the context, and I want you to see if you can spot the gentleness, actually, in this section. Um, Galatians 5 7 through 12. You can, you can turn there if you want. Uh, and if you want to just listen to me, that's fine as well. 
Okay, Galatians 5, starting in verse 7. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. So here's my question to you. If you were going to write a letter to a church that had lost the gospel, that was believing and teaching a false gospel that at one time knew the gospel and then has shifted over into legalism, that circumcision in this, uh, there, it seems like what's going on in, in Galatians and the whole idea of this word play of emasculate themselves is that they made circumcision necessary for salvation. And so if you were going to write a letter to a church that lost the gospel, would you say, would you call them brothers uh, ten times? They, they don't have the gospel. They don't believe the gospel. They're teaching a false gospel. And Paul is calling them brothers. That's pretty amazing and actually pretty shocking. And would you say something like this? I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and that the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. He's appealing to them in a real, actually, even though it's sharp, I wish they would emasculate themselves, it's actually quite amazingly gentle. (laughs) He's calling them brothers. He's appealing to them, come back to the gospel. If you leave the gospel, you have nothing. And he's appealing to them as Christians, as saying, I I trust that the Lord's going to bring you back. I believe that you're going to come back to the true gospel because I I really think... um, you, you knew the Lord and that you started well and you're going to end well, but you're, you're off here. And if you continue on this way, you're going to lose everything. And he's arguing that point. He's arguing it even sharply. Uh, and yet you see the gentleness there in a way that, I mean, for me, I wouldn't say it that way. I wouldn't, call, I wouldn't even feel comfortable calling somebody necessarily a brother um, if they've lost the gospel. I would be scared to do that. Uh, I would not naturally in my flesh appeal to them the way Paul does here. It's pretty amazing, really. Um, And so there's a way that we can be gentle and yet still rebuke. Um, These fit together. I'll give you a couple examples of verses that kind of get this across in a little bit of a different way. Proverbs 15.1, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 15.1, there's a way, even when you rebuke, that you can do it in a way that the person can hear. And so think about Paul's uh, statement about the Cretans. They're always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. It's quite a sharp statement. And yet, even in that, you can see the gentleness. Why? He's actually appealing to one of their own prophets. He's saying, you guys already said this. I'm not making this up. You already believe this. This is one of your own prophets saying this. He's appealing to something they already um, value. And believe, and using that to point out um, some some problems. Paul does that the same thing in Acts 17, where he appeals to, you know, the gods that they already have up. The they, they had the statue to the unknown god, um, and he uses that something they already believe to bring in the gospel. He's. I'll give you another example uh, from Proverbs that kind of gets this idea of cross. Of how do we do this? How do we rebuke sharply and yet gently? I mean, be gentle. Both are commands here. 
A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city, and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. Proverbs 18.19 A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city. If we go in, and our goal really is to help people, that was the first point, is it profitable? You know, is there, is this, is is the way I'm going to do this, is it actually for a good purpose, or is it just me speaking evil? If we want it to be profitable, that verse says, where we want to try and avoid offending people unnecessarily, because if we want them to listen, uh, a brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city. It doesn't mean that we can always avoid offending people, but we can avoid unnecessarily offending people. Does that make sense? Um, Truth is offensive. People were offended at Jesus. But it seems like Jesus did his best to not unnecessarily offend. Think about the story of Jesus going with Peter uh, to the temple. And remember, he's going to the temple, and, and he asks, do the son have to pay the taxes? And he asks Peter that, and, you know, and Peter says no. And Jesus says specifically, basically, so this is my paraphrase, so that we don't offend them, let's go ahead and pay it, even though we don't have to. It's like he's trying to walk in a way to where he can still minister to people, even though, even though he knows, I could do this differently, but I'm going to lay that aside so that I can still minister here and not unnecessarily offend people. We see other times where Jesus is, does offend people. The truth offends people, and so we can't totally avoid it, but we can try and do it and avoid it where it's unnecessary because we love people and we want to We want to reach them. I think that's good on gentle. I'd like to just read a couple here verses that are teaching the same thing, uh, just saying it a little differently. 2 Timothy 2.25, Paul says, Be kind to everyone, patient and gentle. He could summarize that. Be respectful. It is, a, it is an honor for man to keep aloof from strife, but every fool will be quarreling. Proverbs 23. So that kind of gets me to the last of these um, characteristics or things that we're supposed to be pursuing in light of what Christ has done in our lives. How we reach out to those who are, aren't Christians, who maybe are Christians, but we disagree with or feel like we're even in the wrong. Um, how, do we, how do we do that? Well, here's another command, and this I'm going to kind of summarize of everything we've already talked about. I think it all fits under this. Avoid quarreling. Avoid quarreling. We've talked about this before. Um, quarreling, what does it mean to quarrel? When we went through Philippians, we did two different messages on, on that. And Again, there is a tension here. Um, disagreements. We can disagree. Uh, there's things that we should argue about, and yet we don't want to quarrel. And so what does that look like? Well, some of these things we've already talked about, I think, help us. Um, kind of overview of this. Is it, how important is this? Um, Titus 3 at the end, 8 and 9 says, Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, 
for they're unprofitable and worthless. So you can see there that he's saying, whenever there's a disagreement, you need to think, is this profitable? How important is this? You know, is this something that I can let go? Is this something that is worthless and unprofitable? And he gives some examples there, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law. And so if you're having a long, extended argument about whether there's gaps, you know, in um, some of these genealogies, and Paul just says, let it go. <laughs> he says, that's unprofitable and worthless. You know, you can disagree. That's okay. Um, so we ask ourselves that. Romans 14 gives us a, a couple more thoughts. Um, Romans 14, 19 and 20 says, Let us pursue what makes for peace, for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone who makes another stumble by what he eats. So here he says, pursue peace. One way we can avoid quarreling is actually pursuing peace. Um, We want to think about the other people involved. We want to not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God, meaning this person actually, and Paul goes on to say, this person's actually wrong. This person thinks that they can't eat meat offered to idols, but they actually can. And that's okay that they're wrong. Um, pursue peace. And he says, invite them. Welcome them, but not to quarrel over opinions. That's how Romans 14 starts. So there's got to be a laying aside of some of these things. Um, as we look at, is this profitable and worthwhile? How important is this? What else? Uh, it seems like in the Bible, this word quarreling is connected with um, name-calling. Drive out a scoffer, and strife will go out, and quarreling and abuse will cease. Kind of is the opposite side of Second Timothy 2.25, which we already talked about. Be kind to everyone, patient and gentle. If it devolves into name-calling, I think you can safely say this, is, or scoffing, um, this is wrong. Uh, this isn't right. This isn't the way to handle this. This is not showing perfect courtesy to all men. As uh, this, That's the last phrase here. Perfect courtesy towards all people, uh, ESV says. I think the King James says men. But Anyways, we want to be careful how we speak. And I guess I would just say these verses are important, and it's also something that I don't think... There's a, we do very well in the Christian community at large. Um, and there's a lot of sad examples of wanting to hold on to truth, um, wanting to correct error, and doing it in a way that um, is not following these verses, isn't obeying God, right? Um, that is scoffing, is maybe abusive in the way that you're talking about people. Um, that isn't profitable, that um, that isn't gentle and kind. I'll give you an example. It's a negative example. I'm not going to name the person um, because I don't want to speak evil of anyone, <laughs> um, and I wouldn't be profitable. But uh, I was listening to a sermon, and the person said, I want to get it word perfect here. They said, 
Okay, this is, I'm going to say this before I read this. This is a negative example, okay? Um, this is a sermon, a uh, pastor, and they said, Snowflake millennials are more concerned about how I correct than the error that I'm correcting. So, okay, this is a negative example that kind of illustrates this, maybe this whole verse. Name-calling, okay, snowflake millennials, certainly not courteous. Um, it's, snowflake is kind of a way to say they're weak, shallow, um, fragile. And so snowflake millennials, it says, care more about what, how I correct than the error I'm correcting. And so the other piece of that that's kind of helpful in terms of this verse is, it's not true. Like, the verse is, the statement um, is actually hinting at that it's okay, um, that God doesn't really care how you correct, that if you're really brash and mean and even name-calling, um, that's okay. What's, more, what's worse is the error. And this verse here in Titus is saying, in light of the gospel, we can't act like that that God actually cares about this. Like, God actually cares how we talk to other people that we disagree with, whether they're Christians or non-Christians, and that we can't, we can't do it in this way. We can't be, well, the opposite would be quarrelsome, um, harsh, uh, you know, these words, impatient, mean. We don't want to be like that. Um, and this whole section, like we talked about, is saying, look, look what Jesus did for you. Like, you were lost. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were pursuing all these things. He came up to you. He was gracious towards you. He pulled you out of your sin. He redeemed you by his blood. If that's what, how God treated you, how should we correct others? How should we interact with the lost world around us? Are we going to be harsh, mean, quick uh, to rebuke uh, in, a har- in a harsh, mean way? Uh, or are we going to be gentle, slow to anger like God? Are we going to be patient and kind? Uh, not trying to offend, um, willing to offend, but going out of our way not to. And that's what this, this verse is saying. This is the way I would summarize this whole verse, that it matters. Um, it's the way God dealt with us. Uh, God was patient. He was kind. He came to us. He wooed us. He cared for us. And what this whole section is saying is identify with this person. Whatever, wherever they're at, if, if you're meeting a person who's uh, pursuing various passions and pleasures, they're, they're doing all these sinful things, instead of coming in upset, uh, thinking you're different than them, come in remembering who you are, how you were just like them, and identify with them and say, yeah, that's exactly how I was. Um, I was into maybe the same sin, but I was definitely into this, and, and I know exactly you know, how that feels whenever you're pursuing sin, and it just leaves you empty. But God saved me. He was gracious to me. Um, whatever it looks like, there's so many different situations. Yeah, I used to think this way about this issue. Uh, I was wrong. Uh, I, I don't believe that anymore. Um, and the reason I don't is because God changed my mind. I was reading his word, and this is what he taught me. You know, It's so different than coming in, name-calling, um, just trying to get people. Um, that's another example, you know, kind of a negative example that I heard in a sermon um, 
was basically just saying like, if somebody comes in and they say this thing that's wrong, I get excited because I'm about to just smash them. It's like, that's not what this verse is saying. Like, that's wrong, right? That's, that's totally opposite of this verse. Uh, this verse is saying, I come, we're coming in not to smash somebody, but to say, I'm just like you. I was deceived. I, I was lost. I was pursuing these things that were hurtful and wrong. Um, but, but Jesus saved me, and he was gracious to me, and he loved me. Um, and we're on the, we were in the same place. We identify with them. We don't come in ready to smash them. We want to come in and do it in a way where we're not unnecessarily offending them because a brother offended is more unyielding than a, than a strong castle. Um, according to that verse, that's basically a good way to say, I don't really want them to know. You know, If you want somebody not to listen, Proverbs basically says, come in and be real harsh, be real mean. <laughs> um, try, just offend them right off the bat. <laughs> we don't want to be like that. And so I hope that all this together can kind of give you an idea of quarreling, of how our speech, of how we minister and try and love and pursue and reach out to people who were, who were in the exact same place we were at, right? I mean, this is a church. We're, we're all sinners. We all really messed up. We're all, we were all really lost. We were all pursuing the you know, really messed up things. We were all running from God. We didn't love him. We loved ourselves. And we meet people like that all the time. And we want to come in and say, yeah, I'm just another beggar looking for bread just like you. And the bread that fills my soul is Jesus. He's the bread of life. And I was really hungry. And I was pursuing those things too. But now I'm full. And um, do you want to hear more about that? So something to think about. These things aren't easy. We need wisdom. We can be thankful for the rest of this section here that God saved us. And he gave us the Holy Spirit, the washing, the regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit. We need wisdom here. This isn't easy. There's a lot of difficult situations where I don't know how to handle some certain things. It's hard. It's not easy. But we've got the Lord. He's with us. He's there to help us. He's gracious with us. And he's given us his spirit to lead and guide us. So I hope these things are helpful. I hope... It's something that you can consider. This would be honestly a great verse to memorize. If you're going to memorize any of the verses out of Titus, this would probably be in my top ten. If you're going to memorize ten, you might as well just, you could try and memorize the whole thing. I mean, it's only like 45. Um, Great great book to start if you haven't memorized a book before. But this is a verse that comes up in my mind, me personally, so much, where it's like, man, I don't want to disobey this that there's a lot of opportunities, whether that's like two, three, four weeks ago we talked about politics, whether it's politics or whether it's individuals or whether it's you know getting together with family, whatever it is, there's so many opportunities to be a witness in how we speak about things uh, and just turning them to the positive and not speaking evil. And so being intentional. And the last thing I want to say is just we can thank God for Jesus. What an example we've got of how he dealt with sinners, how he loved them. The woman at the well, Nicodemus, all these examples where he's wooing and pursuing. And these verses are true about Jesus. Jesus was perfect. And he was a perfect balance. And so we can look to him. And I'm thankful we've got that example. And we can ask him for help. And if we've messed up, We can just ask for forgiveness. He's there. He's washed. He's ready to wash us by his blood. 
And so, let's pray together. Father, uh, we're looking to you for help. These aren't easy things. Um, there are just so many opportunities uh, to go astray in the way we talk and think, and we're asking for help. Please help us. Uh, help us to love people. Help us to uh, remember what, what it was like um, just to not know you and to be confused and to be pursuing uh, things that didn't satisfy. I pray you just make that real in our hearts and our lives. We are thankful, Jesus, that you died for us and pursued us and loved us and came to save us. I pray you'd put a guard over our mouth, uh, keep us from sin. We don't want to sin against you in any way with any person. Would you help us to have wisdom uh, to know how to talk about you in a way that honors you and glorifies you and doesn't unnecessarily offend and yet, on the other hand, doesn't shy away from the truth either. We need both. pray you'd help us. Would you make us like Jesus? Uh, would you make us a church uh, that people, um, even if we disagree with them, they come away knowing we really love them and care about them? We need help. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for indwelling us. Thank you for forgiveness for all the times we've failed. We're looking to you for help. Amen.